John. Whether you've uh, joined us here today in person or you're worshiping with us in your homes, it's uh, truly my joy now to welcome you, warmly welcome you to uh, Chantilly Bible Church. As John just prayed a moment ago, my name is uh, Milt Johnson. It's always a joy for me to open up God's Word and uh, look at it together to see how God wants to challenge us to be more like Jesus. And this is especially true, I think, as we turn once again to what uh, many scholars refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's there that we uh, are going to learn today, as John prayed a moment ago, about prayer. And we're going to hear that teaching from Jesus himself. And that's what I believe Jesus' desire is that all of us would, uh, would learn to be more involved in a prayer life. I know it's one area that I need a lot of growth in. And, uh, and it should be our deepest desire in anything that Jesus has to say or teach us. But I, I find prayer to be one of the big challenges. And I hope you'll be blessed today as we look at his instructions. So if you haven't already done so, I would like to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to specifically be studying verses 5 through 8. As you are turning to Matthew chapter 6, uh, as you're doing that, I, I'd like to remind you, as uh, Pastor Mike did last week, that uh, looking at this text, starting in verse 1, Jesus provides an excellent summary statement for the entire section that we're looking at uh, in verses 2 through 18 uh, today and next time we gather. Uh, and I'd like to point back to those because they lay a foundation, I believe, a pattern for what Jesus is going to teach us about prayer. Look, if you will, at verse 1 and follow along as I read it, please. Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I love what uh, Eugene Peterson in the message, a paraphrase of the scriptures, how he translates this verse. Here's what he says. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of, out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't do it to call attention to yourself. And simply stated, we see here within this opening verse that expressions of our faith, obedience, uh, are, are wonderful opportunities, uh, potentially God-honoring and valuable. But, uh, but we are not to merely do those things for the sake of public recognition because God says in his word here, Jesus reminds us that our reward won't come from God in those situations. Interesting, I read this last week about a time when Serena Williams won her first Wimbledon uh, tennis tournament. A reporter asked her if uh, it bothered her that so many of the English fans had not been rooting against her. And I love her response. It's, it just really sets, I think, the pattern here of what Jesus is saying. She politely said, no, I understand I am not British. What's more, there have been people rooting against me my entire life. Besides, I love this, my dad was sitting in those stands. And I knew he was rooting for me, and I wanted to please him. And that's all, that's all that matters to me. And my friends, I would submit to you today that um, likewise, it should be our Heavenly Father's approval 
in anything that we do that matters most in our hearts. That's surely what Jesus believed as we look at our text today. He goes on now in verses 2 through 18 to give us three very practical and specific examples of how our faith in Jesus should be expressed in a God-honoring way. Last week, Pastor Mike led us in a study of verses 2 through 4, and we saw what God's desire is for his children when it comes to giving to the needy. Today, we're going to be looking at prayer. And uh, the next time um, we meet after we've got done with the prayer section, next week we'll do prayer as well. We'll talk about fasting, a subject that, frankly, uh, just blows my mind, and I need to learn a great deal about it. But uh, last weekend... Pastor Mike, as I just mentioned, presented a very, very practical sermon on Jesus' instruction about giving to the needy. And I want to encourage you from the bottom of my heart, if you weren't able to uh, watch that or be in attendance, that you take some time to go back and look at that sermon because Mike lays the groundwork, uh, the pattern that Jesus is teaching us here in these first 18 verses of chapter 6. Let me quickly summarize some of his main points Again, because I think they lay a foundation. In Deuteronomy chapter uh, 15, verses 10 and 11, God commands his people to be uh, giving to the needs of one another. Here's what he, uh, they're told in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. You shall give to him, and he's referring here to a needy person, freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work, and in all you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, says God, you shall open wide, I love the picture there, open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. And with this Old Testament uh, command in mind, I want you to now look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. And I want you to see something here. It could, you could easily miss it. I did the first time I read it. Notice that Jesus does not say if, but when you give to the needy. And so clearly there's an expectation for his followers to give regularly to those in need. However, we need to understand here, and it's very, very important that uh, as his followers, clearly we should have a different motive for our giving. We are not to be like the Pharisees who give needy to the needy only as long as someone is watching or for the purpose of dis demonstrating just how, how uh, righteous we are. In fact, godly giving, says Jesus here, very clearly means we, uh, we should not even, this <laughs> practice, I kept using the wrong hand, let your left hand not know what your right hand is doing. And, and that, uh, that means uh, be done so pri privately that uh, the giver readily forgets what he or she gave. Jesus further advises followers here that we ought to give in secret. And, and by that, I don't believe Jesus is forbidding us from keeping records or keeping receipts or reporting uh, procedures used in good stewardship practices, but rather Jesus is clearly condemning here the practice of giving to impress others or in a way that it will benefit us. Uh, his followers, says Jesus, uh, should give generously and out of a heart of compassion. And uh, when they see a need, they should be willing to meet that need. In this way, I, won't, I don't want you to miss the giver demonstrates true righteousness before God, not before people. And then God is in turn able to reward us, a reward far greater than any value that we could receive from man because it is perfect and it is eternal and it gives him glory. 
The bottom line is, as we move in now to talk about prayer, is that we cannot be rewarded as the Pharisees suspected by both man and God. And today, as we continue to look at verses 5 through 8 here, I want to encourage you, when it comes to any act of uh, spiritual discipline or worship, to continue asking ourselves, as Pastor Mike reminded us last week, to whom, to whom is my life pointing? Because just as Pastor Mike said, our hearts will always point to what we treasure most. Now, with that in mind, beginning in verse 5, we move from the topic of spiritual discipline of giving to the spiritual discipline of prayer. And I'd like to reread that text because it will help um, help us be refreshed about what Jesus says here. Verse 5, follow along, please. And when you pray, you must be like, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not, verse 8, be like them, for your father knows what you need before you even ask. Wonderful, wonderful, blessed uh, word from Jesus himself. And from this passage, I want to make three initial observations and then build upon them. First, I want you to see in verses 5 and 7 that Jesus is obviously correcting something. He's responding to some current way of thinking and fashionable practice about prayer that is contrary to the way Jesus wants his followers to live and to serve him. The second thing that I see clearly is that giving uh, is something, uh, giving, like giving, prayer, uh, prayer should be a regular discipline in the life of his followers. Notice verse 5 again. Again, it's something you could simply fly right over and not see it. And when you pray, notice not if you pray. When you pray, so clearly there's an expectation for one of Jesus' followers that we have uh, uh, regular times of, of, of time in prayer with the, with the Lord. And third, the main emphasis of this text that I want you to see today is Jesus is explaining how and how not we are to pray. And that's what we're going to look at. That's the basic outline today. And looking back at our text here, please observe that Jesus begins his instructions on how not to pray by pointing out two common prayer pitfalls. If you're following along in your notes, that's the first point. Notice that Jesus warns his followers against praying people-directed prayers, against praying people-directed prayers. Verse 5, and when you pray, instructs Jesus here, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. According to Jesus, even though uh, many of the Jewish religious leaders, they, they were explicitly directing their prayers to God, it's clear, according to Jesus, that the applause that they were looking for was from their peers and they wanted the esteem of the people that was their main and real concern. And so they would stand in the synagogues. They would strut out into the streets and the corners and perform, perform for their audiences. And the word perform is a right word here. Couldn't be more appropriate because the word perform here is uh, 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 translated hypocrite here is, is the Greek word for actor. 
And so, in other words, these religious leaders were, were not praying to God, but they were literally performing for others. Now, folks, we may not stand on the corner of Pleasant Valley and 50, Route 50, and offer up our prayers. Um, but which of us, I, I, I thought a lot about these applications, but which of us has not been, I know I have, been more concerned about how my prayer might sound to others than more concerned than what it might sound like to God? And I think if you're honest, you have to be uh, willing to admit that yourself. Or which of us has not, at some point, wanted to impress others with our prayers, or at least hope our prayers would be acceptable when we were praying with other people. And, and how many of us have refused to pray altogether because we were afraid of what others might think about our prayer, the quality of that prayer? You know, in my research this week, um, I found a true story about when President uh, Lyndon B. Johnson was president, and uh, he was meeting with his assistant uh, the special assistant, Bill Moyers, and they, they sat down to enjoy a meal in the, the quarters, the living quarters of the White House. And as the story goes, President uh, Johnson asked Bill Moyers to uh, say grace before the meal. And uh, when Moyers began to pray, he began softly, so softly, that the president literally interrupted his prayer and said, speak up, Bill, I, I can't hear you. And uh, Bill Moyers was actually a, a Baptist minister from East Texas, and uh, he stopped in mid-sentence and without even looking up, replied firmly, I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President. And although a silly story, I think it demonstrates um, a definition of what prayer is. It helps us understand that the definition of prayer is communicating with God, not communicating with others. And here's the thing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we lose sight, when we forget that definition, it's no longer prayer. It really simply is poetry reading or dramatic monologues. But be careful. I don't believe that um, Jesus is saying here it's never proper to pray in public. We know that for truth because the Gospels record Jesus praying numerous times in public. We also know from reading the Acts of the Apostles that repeatedly the apostles were, were leading corporate prayers. And that's one of the reasons that each Sunday we have an elder come up here and pray each week and lead us in a pastoral prayer. For Jesus, you see, the, the issue is not ultimately public prayer versus uh, private prayers. The, it, it, it's paying attention from, uh, uh, you know, who our prayer is for, uh, versus praying for God or praying for others. It, it's all about, and we've heard this over and over again as we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, the internal motivation, the heart is obviously Jesus' central concern. And so we're not to pray people-oriented prayers. In addition to not praying people-directed prayers, I think a second pitfall presented here in verse 7 is praying prayers as a kind of a magic man, uh, mantra. And let me explain by reading the verse here. Jesus says here, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And a mantra is a phrase that is often repeated over and over again in order to bring some kind of a magical or supernatural response. And I believe that's what Jesus is warning us here, especially when he points to the Gentiles here. You know that the non-Jewish people had their own gods and they had their own goddesses. And typically their prayers were, 
a long list of different names of their gods, uh, and, and they would pray them repeatedly over and over again to sway their gods, believing that it would somehow prove to be a magical formula that caught their gods' attention and that they would get whatever it is that they were desiring to receive from that god. Now, again, uh, hopefully none of us conscientiously uh, think of our prayers as a magic mantra, but uh, I believe we can fall into that kind of same trap if we're not careful. Uh, which of us, for example, has not prayed a prayer simply because we thought it was the right thing to do or somehow God would bless us simply because uh, we went through the motions? Or, or which of us has not at times trusted more in the act or the power of praying itself than the God who was, we were expecting to answer that prayer? Uh, no, we uh, may not be praying to gods and goddesses, but we too can see prayer not as a means for speaking to or submitting our hearts to God, but rather as a tool to manipulate God or to bend God's will towards our heart's desire. And, and the bottom line that I, that I see in that kind of a concept is our sinful tendency to control can often influence the way that we pray. But I want you to see how Jesus responds in verse 8 when he counters this pagan this practice. Look at verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And I want you to notice that Jesus does not simply say here, okay, uh, don't, um, don't babble or, or um, you know, uh, keep your prayers um, brief. I see him responding here to this pagan practice by immediately pointing to the character or to the nature of our great God. Jesus says there is a major difference between the gods of the pagans and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not a genie, Jesus, I think, is saying here that we co coerce into what we want. Neither is he some distant force that we attempt to invoke through uh, this uh, ritual of repeating words. Nor does he need nor want or ask for mindless, uh, repeated uh, prayers to get, our, uh, get his attention. He, says Jesus, is the true and the living God, our loving heavenly Father. He knows perfectly what we need even before we ask. That blows my mind how God does that. And so Jesus is teaching here that God is indeed in control, that he is a wise God, and that when we pray, it is an act of faith, it is an act of submitting ourselves to him and not to an unknown God, an uncaring God, but one who knows each one of us intimately. Um, yes, God does not need our prayers, but the thing I see in here is he wants our prayers. He, he knows what we need even before we have uh, shared them. And here's the thing, we can speak to him simply and openly whenever and any time during the day or night, and he hears and he cares, and he understands, and he's able to wisely respond as a loving father. I love Hebrews chapter 5, verses uh, 15 and 16. I'd like to ask us to read these together, can we? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Don't miss verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We often hear 
cliches in America, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Uh, but nowhere do I see that kind of a message uh, in, in the scriptures. God tells us to trust in him with all our hearts. And, and when we cry out to him and humbly ask for his help, he provides the grace and the help that we need and, um, and, and gives us peace. Hallelujah, as uh, Matt loves to say, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can, not, we can come boldly. Do you hear that? We can come boldly um, and with confidence to God's throne of grace. It's no longer, for those who have trusted in Christ, a throne of judgment, but rather it's a place where we receive forgiveness and mercy and help and righteousness and grace. What an awesome God we have. So now Jesus has uh, spent a great deal of time here talking about how we shouldn't pray. But then I would like us to look at verse 6 here and look at the other side of that coin where Jesus now goes on to instruct us on how we ought to pray. And uh, the first thing I see in verse 6 is prayer requires establishing our setting aside time. Prayer requires the way God intends for us to pray, establishing or setting aside time. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice that the way that uh, Jesus describes prayer here, it involves some purposeful uh, effort or initiative. Uh, notice the, the words here, go into your inner room, shut the door. Um, in other words, I believe Jesus is saying if we're going to be praying with the intensity that God wants us to be praying, developing that, it requires planning and preparation, getting alone and spending time with God. It's hard and it takes time, but I believe Jesus is saying here, we need to make that the priority uh, that it should be in our lives. This, uh, think of the, 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 you know, when I got to this point, think of even just this past week. It was Thanksgiving, so I, I hope there was a lot of thankfulness in our hearts. But this past week, I want you to identify in your hearts, not out loud, the places and times when you prayed. Was it uh, in the car? Was it in the bathroom? Was it at work or uh, at bed when you were going to sleep at night? Was it in front of a computer at the dinner table? In a sense, what I believe Jesus is doing with this statement is he's making the point that many of us, me included, are so busy that we don't really focus on prayer and that prayer relationship God wants throughout the week many times. And in fact, we wait until we get into a formal setting like we are in here today, and that's really the most significant prayer that many believers have during the week. Um, but I believe Jesus is saying here, I want you to go beyond those public times and, 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 and take more time to pray intimately and, and personally with me. I want to remind you here that Jesus uh, was a pretty busy person, and yet we see that he went at lengths to spend time with his father. One of my favorite verses, uh, verses is in Mark 1.35, and Jesus has just finished an incredibly busy week, a busy day, Ministry-wise, the people had lined up around the building that he was staying in. And it says in verse 35 that rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Um, Jesus went to some pretty extreme measures 
to get away from everyone so that he could pray by himself. But I believe he did that to model for us and to show us also his heart that, uh, that he wanted to spend time with his father. He needed to spend time with the father. And um, we also need that kind of time. I don't know how many of you actually have a prayer closet or where you pray or when you spend time, but I want to encourage all of us this week to truly evaluate in our hearts, to find some time and a place where we can pray to God daily. And that brings me to the second thing that uh, what we see here about how to pray properly. We need to understand that prayer is conversing with and trusting in our Heavenly Father. Conversing in and trusting in our Heavenly Father. Again, verse 6. We are to go into the inner circle, it says, close the door and notice and pray to our Heavenly Father who is in secret. Verse 8. He will instruct us not to pray meaningless repetition like the Gentiles here, but we are to pray to our Father, our Father who knows our needs before we even ask him. And next week when we get into verse 9 and we start looking at the Lord's Prayer, what's known as the Lord's Prayer, remember how it starts. Pray this way, right? Our Father in heaven. So three times just in these few short verses, Jesus talks about praying, being a conversation with our Father, our Heavenly Father. And I think this is one of the most important aspects that we need to understand if we're going to pray as God intends. Prayer, you see, is not just uh, spending time with an impersonal transaction or some force or power. It's, in fact, a, a, a relationship. In fact, the Lord's Prayer, which we'll study next week, as I said, Jesus addresses the Father as Abba, Father, which is a tender term for a young Hebrew child. Uh, uh, meaning daddy. And, and yes, there'll be times when we fail, but as Christians, we can go to our Father at any time, seek forgiveness and restoration. And I'm always reminded when I think of that, of the, of the prodigal son, right? How he demanded his inheritance uh, from his father. He took that inheritance selfishly. He went off and he squandered that inheritance on uh, wine, women, songs, parties, and friends. Uh, and it wasn't until he hit bottom, when he runs out of money, becomes destitute and hungry, that he finally comes to a census, and Scripture tells repenting. He, um, he decided to go home and, and confess his sins, and literally to come humbly back to his father and offer to be a servant in his house. And, and yet his father, who I believe represents that Abba father that Jesus is talking about, rather than judging and being vindictive, he runs to his son. And when he sees him returning from afar, he embraces him. And I'm sure there were consequences, but he welcomes him back. And I love the way he lavishes his love on him. And I believe this is the image as I think about praying with God, my Father, that Jesus wants us to have. A God who throws his arms around us when we, when we turn to him and confess our sin. A God who is forgiving. A God who is restorative, not wishing that any should perish. And, and I think that's really good to know because I talk with people. We come from all different backgrounds in the, this church. Um, and, and I know some of you come from viewpoints where God is like a, a God standing up there with a baseball bat. He's vengeful. He's angry, just waiting to judge us. And, and, and nothing keeps us away from spending time with the Father if we're just ridden with guilt and unwilling to come to him and share our burdens. But Jesus shares a vastly different view 
of God our Father. I want you to notice that it says here clearly that our Father knows about our needs and he provides for our needs. That's something he desires to do. And since he was willing to sacrifice his own son, Scripture says, what would he not be willing to give in, in, in helping us? It doesn't mean, however, and this is the other side of that coin when we talk about prayer, that God is some great big vending machine in the sky. We say a few right words, put the right words like a coin into a machine, and we get whatever we want out of him. No, God is a wise and loving heavenly father. He made us to know him. He made us to talk to him. He made us to love him. He not only wants to hear from us, he also wants to tell us things as we spend time in his word together. God longs for a relationship with us. And that only happens, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, as God intends, when we are willing to turn off all the noise, <laughs> which sounds uncrazy, but, you know, unplug all the distractions from this world, and we make a choice to spend time with him. Bottom line is this, that most of us, and, and I'm including myself in this, um, our personal and private life and time with God has to become a bigger priority. And by that I mean, uh, that means prayer must become something more significant than just praying and thanking God at grace when we eat. I'm talking about when we go to bed, the now I lay me down to sleep times, or, or um, before we go to an airport or get into a car or a bus or a train asking for journey mercies or, or even just opening up our worship services here. I'm talking here about prayer being a gift, a gift that God has provided uh, and it's an expected thing by the Lord so that we might develop uh, and know God in a much deeper caring way. When we spend time with God, I don't know how anybody can be proud because when we spend time with God in the way that Jesus is describing here, it humbles us, doesn't it? And, and we realize how powerful and how able and, and how good our God is and, and how much uh, we need him. Nothing puts us more aware of our need for God than when we spend time and we let him search our hearts as he desires to do. And when I talk about spending time with God, I don't want you to have a legalistic uh, checkoff list. That's not what I want in my heart. I want to have a genuine longing to want to spend time with my father. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, God, is the fullness of joy. And who here doesn't want to experience the fullness that God brings into our lives? And, and by the way, I, I will just say a lot of people don't pray, as I mentioned earlier, because they think it's got to be some formula or fancy words. Uh, but God wants you to sincerely and, and speak normally to him. Um, my great-grandfather was a, a firm believer that the only inspired word of God, and it's partly because of his age, I think, the only inspired word of God was the King James Version. And when he quoted scripture, I can remember as a child, he would quote that every time in a King James Version. But the funny thing is, one of the, he, he had more of a profound impact on me on a young, as a young child spiritually than anyone else. But when he began to pray out loud, he always prayed like he was reading the King James Bible, you know. We sit down for dinner. Our gracious heavenly Father, thou hast bestowed upon us bountiful feast and glory belongest to thou and thou alone. Wouldst thou uh, bless this meal by thy... I mean, and, and it was all I could do not to chuckle when he would pray. But, but then once he stopped praying, he would resume speaking in a modern language, okay? 
And folks, when we pray, I think sometimes we feel that if we speak with this bygone error, or we, or, or, or we have to be more spiritual, or, or we're not relevant, God wants you to speak from your heart honestly to him. In addition to normal words, I believe God wants us to show emotions to him, honesty and sincerity. We should pray with our emotions and effect. Now, please, uh, it should be sincere, and it should be authentic. But if you're moved, be moved, but be real about it, you know? There is no uh, need to alter your voice or manufacture emotion. Just be yourself. God loves you for who you are. Remember, God is looking for a relationship with you, uh, not whomever it is you're trying to impress upon him or act like when you pray. And that is what Jesus is saying. Prayer, says Jesus here, is, is naturally one of the most spiritual things disciplines that we can do as a believer and and we don't need to add any extra spiritual over spiritualizations here we simply need to come as as deeply joyful sons and daughters with a relevant uh, a reverent heart because we have been rescued by a god who loves us with all his heart he longs to hear us he longs to spend time with us is that your impression of god i believe it will make a huge difference in and are wanting to spend time with God. And by the way, verse 6 says God rewards us uh, by not just answering our prayers, but I mean, I believe giving of himself to us. Nothing is more exciting to me than spending that time with God and hearing his heart and hearing him speak to me through his word. And so when I got to this point, this is where I kind of, before Mike comes up and leads us in the Lord's table, because we're talking about coming face to face with with a holy and righteous God and all the wonderful things he's done for us, both in prayer and even as we celebrate the Lord's table here today, I ask myself, and I'll ask you the same thing. So why don't we pray more often? Why don't we pray more often? Now, I would talk to some people, and I've used this excuse myself. Well, um, I don't pray because I, I don't have the time to pray. But is that really true? Funny, I read this week, and I don't mean this in any judgment at all, but the latest research says that most people in the United States check their social media accounts 17 times per day, 17 times per day. And so we say we don't have time to pray, but the fact is we make time to do what matters to us, as Mike pointed out. Our hearts, you know, our, we always point where our hearts treasure. Perhaps another reason we don't pray, this is an area that I wrestled with, is because we don't think prayer is all that important. Um, of course, we would never admit that out loud, outright, but um, for, perhaps we're communicating that by the time we're spending or, or committing to prayer. But I have to be honest with you, the one thought that resurfaced over and over and over again in my heart as I thought about why I don't pray anywhere near what I believe God would have me as I was preparing this sermon is perhaps we don't pray more because we are so focused on the results of prayer, and I mean getting what we want, that perhaps um, we're missing out on the relational emphasis of prayer that I see Jesus pointing to so clearly within these instructions. He wants and longs to have a relationship with us, and I hope that would be the desire of all our hearts. I want you to think about these final thoughts as Mike comes now and leads us in the Lord's table. Let me go ahead and uh, close this portion in prayer and ask God to bless our time. Father, thank you.
for these very practical instructions from our Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you so long to have a relationship with us. And even as we celebrate Christmas, we're reminded of the, the initiative that you took, Lord, to, to send your son uh, to enter, enter in this world, die in our place and for us. And Lord, may we, uh, may we reciprocate that, that love you have for us by spending time with you more frequently and, uh, and spending more time in, in, in your word and on our knees, Lord. Thank you for your patience and your love for us. We ask your blessing now upon our time around your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Milt, for a wonderful reminder from God's word of um, just the precious and valuable gift of prayer, the fact that the God of heaven, the Holy One of heaven, that we have his ear, but not just his ear, we have his hand working in our lives and not just like you mentioned, his hand, but his heart, his relationship with us. And I know I take for granted that precious, precious gift of prayer. But we're also reminded of the cost that it took to have that precious gift for us, the unworthy and the unholy, to be able to have an audience with the holy God of the universe. And it's because we were made holy by Jesus. That relationship was established, sinners with the holy God, because of the work that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And not only was the cost so great, the very life of Jesus, the only thing greater than the cost, I believe, was the love of Jesus, willing to do that for us, to bring us into that right relationship with God. And that's what communion is about. It's about remembering the shared gift that we have together of our restored, renewed, right relationship with God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So at CBC, the way that we do communion is we have some tables around the front and around the back. In fact, if you are helping distribute the elements, you may make your way to the table now. Uh, but in just a moment, um, we will get some time to reflect, to pray. And if you feel unworthy, if you feel like you need some mercy and some grace and some help in time of need, well, good news, you can boldly go before the throne of grace to receive that. So take time and pray. Remember your precious gift of prayer. Remember the precious gift of Jesus who died on the cross in your place. Remember the story that we're all in, that we're all a part of. And when you're ready after praying and spending time with the Lord, you can dismiss yourself to one of the tables nearest you, grab the elements, come back to your seat, and we'll take it together. I do want to encourage you, uh, the elements can be a little tricky to open, so you might want to go ahead and when you sit down, open them up. Then after a moment, we'll take the elements together to remember the greatness of our God and King, Jesus. So right now, take some time, pray, put yourself before the throne of grace, and remember the hope you have in Jesus. Jesus.